This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 326. Today, AC and I are going to talk about leaving Microsoft, migrating to Office 365, and crushing the street. Recorded October 24th, 2019. For those of us familiar with ShareGate, we know they've always been about SharePoint and Office 365 migration. But now that we've all moved to the cloud, like me, you're probably thinking about how to scale your Office 365 to a full self-serve environment without worrying about thousands of groups and teams popping up out of nowhere, AKA Sprawl. That's why the folks at ShareGate developed ShareGate Apricot. It's a solution that helps us automate our Office 365 group governance by allowing us to collaborate with users to keep everyone accountable for the things they create. Their super simple to use in-app experience lets us lighten our load by delegating group management responsibilities to users we trust, AKA no more sprawl. Want to get your hands on ShareGate Apricot? Try it free for 30 days at sharegate.com forward slash cloud show. Good morning, AC. Morning, CJ. How's it going today? <laughs> Bit of a rocky start to the day, but I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Anything you can share? <laughs> uh, you know, you know, some mornings just start going really poorly and you get off on the wrong foot and then things just slide downhill. Yep. It, it sort of started like that. And, you know, it wasn't anything in particular that was that interesting. It was just, you know, one of those days. Yeah. You're off your game and... If you share it, nobody's gonna be like, yeah, it doesn't sound like it's that bad, but you're like, you know what, I'm off my game. Exactly, exactly. I just, you know, I didn't get off to a good start, but now I'm here and things are looking up. Wow, that's good. That's very good. You know, work-wise, things are crazy, but personal-wise, things are good. I have family that's like fighting cancer and had some really good news this week, which has just had me on like a high. I've had, I've had family that's, they were staying with me, had some major surgery and stuff and come to find out that she's like, I guess as much as you can be, it's cancer free right now. So, which is huge, but yeah, there's that. And then of course, while they were in town, while my cousin, sorry, while family was in town, they shared with me, like we're hanging out and stuff and they shared with me some shows and stuff that they've been watching lately. And, uh, oh my, so I've come across my Netflix list has grown and I've already gone through one of the shows. Have you heard of Murder Mountain? No. Oh man, it's good. It's six episodes. This isn't really a pick, so I didn't want to put this in there, but it's six episodes and it is all about a county up in Northern California that is in such a remote area. It's mostly lawless, but it's where 60 to 80% of all the marijuana in the United States has grown. It's really interesting, but it, it goes through this whole thing about from illegal to legalization, the impact, how there's a bunch of murders that happen up on this one mountain. It's called Murder Mountain out there. It's really interesting. There's an angle that they play like a, you know, I feel bad for these farmers who are growing pot have been doing it illegally and now they're going out of business because the legalization makes it so much more expensive and they make you kind of feel bad for them. Like going, you do know that you were doing something illegal before and you're complaining to the county commission that it's too expensive to go legal. So I don't really have a lot of sympathy here for you. <laughs> no, not really. But makes for good TV. <laughs> Next, they're going to want pot subsidies. There you go. So there was that one. And I was listening to I was listening to another interview for another podcast that I've already talked about on the show before. Did you ever watch Anchorman, the movie? Yes. Will Ferrell? Yeah. Did you know there is a Rod and Burgundy podcast? No. Oh my God. It is so incredibly dry. But it is like, he's... <laughs> Like, so he's, he's going through his, his classic Ron Burgundy. He's like, all right, so it's our podcast. 
well, let's take our first caller. And like, uh, Ron, Ron, there's it's a podcast. There's no callers. It's a, it's not live. He goes, right, got it. Check. No <laughs> podcast. Okay, no callers. So what do we do here? We record. Okay, so we record this stuff, and our producer downloads the recording into an audio file, sends it to the men and women at the internet who put it on cassettes and mail it out. Got it. Okay, that's how it works. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> That's what it's we really do, good, right? Isn't that what we do? I thought that's what we do. We've modernized. We have a mailed out on USBs. I carry a pigeon. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. Yep. Murder Mountain. Okay, I'll take a look at that. I've just finished watching Succession with Vicky. It's a HBO. I think it's HBO. <gasps> yeah, it's an HBO. How was that? Well, I mean, it's not going to win any Oscars. It's a pretty terrible show when you boil it down, but it's pretty entertaining. And it's modeled after the Murdoch family, you know, Fox News and all that sort of stuff and like the big Australian news media, media right? Yeah. And um, it's pretty entertaining. I found it fun, fun to, <clears throat> uh, fun to watch. I mean, it's not exactly, you know, a deeply cerebral <laughs> thinking person's show, <laughs> but it's pretty fun. Yeah. It's a good transition from watching the family. Yeah, I did watch all five parts of that. I think five parts. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Um, you mentioned on the podcast a couple of shows ago. I'm just utterly gobsmacked. G-O-B or G-O-D smacked? G-O-B. Okay. I would love to find out what you think about it, but I really don't want to do it on the show because I don't want to alienate listeners. So we'll have to grab yeah. a scotch at Ignite and have a chat about it. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, something is slightly lighter than that. Did you mm-hmm. notice this week that there was a, in fact, yesterday, there was a bit of a whoopsie with the Azure CLI repo on GitHub. I heard about this, right? Would you put that as a whoopsie or would you put that as a, oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I guess I was trying to be polite. Somebody deleted the Azure CLI repo on GitHub. Huh. I like that tool. I don't know why they got rid of it. Yeah. Oopsie. Oh, it was an accident. I assume so. Um, <laughs> I certainly hope so. But yeah, they got it back a couple of hours later or a few hours later, I suppose. And what was interesting is a friend of ours told us about this. And he said, what's fascinating about this is it wasn't like a, oh, now the CLI repo's back. The repo came back as a fork of somebody else who'd forked the repo. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, you don't have backups? I guess not. Yeah, this is one of those. Being able to call somebody at GitHub and say, and again, I just deleted the repo by accident. Can you please revert that commit? <laughs> I was joking about acting like I didn't know what was going on with this. Yeah, we were. it was funny watching this recovery happen in real time. He noticed it. He mentioned it to us. We started going, I'm like, oh my God, it is gone. And then all of a sudden, well, no, it's there. Like, oh my God, it's a fork. They found somebody who had a recent fork of it. Like, oh my God, this is... And you, it's almost like I want to go grab popcorn. Just like, oh, I just want to keep it and refresh and see how this works. Yeah. Man, I'd love to have seen the... Have you ever watched a cat try to turn a 90-degree corner on hardwood floors? <laughs> I did this while they're running. It's pretty entertaining. It's like watching somebody drift around a corner in those, t- you know, in those drifting cars. And Except they look under, con- but they're in control, yeah. but not the cat. <laughs> no, the cat, yeah. The cat's legs are like scrambling in one direction, super, super fast, but they're still sailing in a completely opposite direction. <laughs> And eventually they get a grip of the floor or something and, and make some traction and then shoot off in the right direction. But I can just imagine that was somebody's, somebody sitting at a desk in Redmond was basically like that cat yesterday morning. Yeah. At least it wasn't like deleting the tool. Like they lost the code for it, which I, I know, big deal. Somebody has got a current copy of it 
and they own the organization. So it's not like somebody could hijack the repo name and all that stuff and really screw things up. But it didn't break anything for anybody. It just was a really bad... Like It's not like a cert going, getting expired, but it was... It didn't look good. I mean, I'm sure the CLI installs go pull the releases from the repo. I don't know if those went down, if people couldn't install or update. But anyway, a bit of a whoopsie. Hey, we've got some news and bits and pieces to get through this week. So how about we dive into those? But first, let's hear from a couple of our fantastic sponsors. Struggling to reproduce problems in your code base? Successful software starts with Raygun. Raygun provides application performance monitoring, unlike anything you've experienced before offering greater clarity around how your software is performing for your customers than any other APM provider. Easily detect and diagnose issues impacting end users and monitor every part of your stack in one place. It's time to get back to building great software instead of fighting it. Start your journey to better software quality. Try Raygun free at raygun.com today. A 99.9% SLA means you're protected from power outages, bad patches, natural disasters, and maybe even a dinosaur attack. Does it protect you from yourself though? Avpoint Backup for SharePoint Online provides full fidelity backup and recovery from individual items to entire sites. Avpoint can run backups up to four times a day to ensure your data is secure. Recover any time you want without having to pick up the phone and schedule restore windows. Learn why Avpoint is the Microsoft Cloud expert at www.avpoint.com. Okie doke. A couple of bits of news to go through this week. The first one that I've got here is, do you know a guy called James Whitaker from Microsoft? I know the name, but I don't, he's not ringing a bell. He's done quite a few talks. He was the guy that years ago left Microsoft and went to Google and did like a big sort of thing about Google when he left to go back to Microsoft and did sort of a big sort of, I wouldn't call it an expose, but like a long article about like what's messed up with the internals of Google. Okay. Do you remember that? It was a while ago. It was a number of years ago, admittedly. Anywho, this guy was quite prolific inside, of, inside Microsoft. He ran a presentation skills training course inside Microsoft. The guy's a really good speaker. And if you ever get a chance to go to one of his sessions, you definitely should. He's very entertaining to watch and listen to but and very engaging. But anyway, he's written a post. He's just left Microsoft again. Well, about six months ago, I think, actually. So not just sometime earlier this year. And it's titled Speaking Truth to Power, Reflections on My Career at Microsoft. So he's done a sort of another post similar to his one when he left Google, which caused a bit of a stir at the time and got in the news and stuff like that. The tech news, I should say, not like the national news. But this one is about Microsoft. And what's really interesting about it is his take on, uh, how would I say this, leadership at Microsoft and how certain parts of the company are doing quite well and certain parts aren't and how Satya has shepherded some of those changes and has sort of let certain things fall. And his basic premise is, if you really want to change, you've got to call out and shed the leaders of the past and what they've what they did wrong, right? So Bill Gates and Steve Barmer specifically, he calls about, you know, Bill's awesome. He was a visionary leader, tech leader, obviously built the company, but his management style was very adversarial and very made man, he calls it in this article, right? Which is mm-hmm. if you're a made man, then and man specifically. And that's his point is that we still, or Microsoft still hold on to that legacy of Bill Gates and that mm-hmm. legacy of Steve Barmer and their leadership styles. And until they really have a big sort of come to Jesus moment and shed those management styles, they're not going to allow all of their areas of Microsoft to flourish. And his point is like in 
in Windows, for example, those management styles are still very prevalent. And huh. that's why they're not doing very well. Windows isn't? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Like it's slowly bleeding market share and hasn't really been that innovative over the last few years and has issues. But anyway, it's a very interesting article because he specifically calls out you know, what he thinks are some of the reasons for that stagnation or that going backwards in some cases and specifically links it to the leadership of old and why Microsoft really needs to own up that that history is not something to be imitated and uh, that's what's holding them back. Huh, that's interesting. That's I, I, some good examples like Amy Hood, who's the CFO, coming to power, I suppose. Yeah. She came out of absolutely nowhere and almost out of nowhere and wasn't like a made man and all this. And, and obviously Microsoft, she's been instrumental in their transition to the cloud and subscription and all of that and how what an incredible job she's done. So he calls out some good examples too. This is going to be quite a read. I haven't seen this. You got me interested in it. I'm going through like poking through it as you're giving me the summary. Interesting quotes here. Like one of the key highlights from the article is by other people writing this, not that I highlighted. This is a key point. Leaders should reflect the ideals and values of those below them rather than those above them. Promoting those leaders is the fastest way to fix a company's broken culture. And so that brings examples of bad leaders and good leaders and made men, right? the old guard and the leadership styles of old. Is That's really right? interesting. Well, I think he's written it very well. This, I would say, I, I mean, having, having worked there some time ago now, admittedly, and the company's changed a lot since I left, but there were many moments I was sitting there nodding, going, he didn't name names in some cases. <laughs> but you know what he's talking about. Not easily know what he's talking about. I know exactly who he's talking about too. It's yeah, really, that's what I meant. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's like, oh my God, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yep. That's funny. <laughs> that's interesting. There's, I've had a, the last week or two, you know, when you kind of go through these phases when you're, I mean, we do a lot of work very closely with Microsoft and it's not that the company goes through this. I guess I, I kind of feel like my experience goes through this, but I, I go through waves. I'm like, all right, things are good right now. And then it's like, oh God, you guys don't know what the hell you're doing. And then it's, oh my God, things are really good right now. And this is really smooth. And it's like, man, you just got these core things. And that would be an interesting show. I don't know if it would be in our best interest though, but it'd be an interesting conversation to be just a, you know, what is the what are the things that you absolutely love about this company? And what are the things that drive you absolutely batty about this company? And I've got I got stuff on both sides, but like this past really the last three days for me have been incredibly frustrating. I want to reach through teams and just strangle somebody and just shake their head, like going, seriously, you stop. Maybe we could build a little device <clears throat> that integrates with teams where you could remotely slap someone. Or electrocute them, perhaps. I like the other one. <laughs> Just a little shock, like the Bill Murray Ghostbusters shock. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. No, so a bunch of wavy lines. Anyway, so yes, that's uh, that post by James Whitaker. I thought it was a great read if you're interested in some of the internals, the good, the bad, and the ugly bits of Microsoft. I don't know where he's gone or what he's doing next. I checked it out on LinkedIn. doesn't say yet, So, but we will keep an eye. He's a really nice guy. I met him a few times and... Yes, very fascinating dude. Hmm. So moving on, I've got something from, I got a link here from Google. I think we both have a link from Google. So mine is one I found a couple of weeks ago. I've been sitting on this, uh, I guess. Yes, I've been sitting on this for a bit of one to share this. And I was going to share it last week. Google is uncovering hundreds of race conditions within the Linux kernel. They're one of the contributions that Google's doing towards working on Linux, or at least the upstream Linux kernel, is this thing called a sanitizer. And so what they've been doing over the last couple of years is they've been using this thing called an address sanitizer that 
is used for finding memory corruption bugs. They have another one called an undefined behavior sanitizer for undefined behaviors and a couple other kinds of sanitizers. And what they've been doing is showing a bunch of stuff. Well, showing these different, sharing the, not showing, sharing these things that they've been doing. They have a new one that they've created called the Kernel Concurrency Sanitizer, KSAN, KCSAN, that's just focused on discovering data race issues within the, the kernel code. It's, let's see, and they're testing just last month. In just two days, they found over 300 unique race conditions within the mainline kernel. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's fascinating. So it's kind of interesting. It's something I'd use in my day-to-day job, but I love that somebody's doing it. <laughs> yeah. It would be interesting to see if someone did the same thing to Mac OS and yeah. to Windows and to see what the response would be. I bet you the response would be like the media would go berserk on Windows. Apple would get more of a pass and Linux is getting a bit of a pass right now. Yeah, that would be interesting to see how they stacked up. I suspect just due to legacy, Windows has a lot more code. So Mm -hmm. therefore a lot more likelihood of these things. But then on the flip side, I don't know, it's hard to say. That could be a a close call. It'd be a fascinating thing to explore. Yeah, yeah. You know how we've spoken about quantum computing in the past and how like Sarch has done a thing, a reveal on stage with some sort of like computer that looks that looks sort of like a like a Moscow mule glass that's like drunk a bunch of steroids and sort of growing 40 limbs. You know? Yeah, yeah, I was, work, I was working on it this morning. That brass looking thing. <laughs> Google, Google have said that, that this is really interesting for, for cloud computing, I think. Google scientists say they've achieved quantum supremacy as a achieved quantum supremacy breakthrough over classical computers. So they reckon they've built this quantum computer that they fired a algorithm at it and that it performed tasks. I think they said in 200 seconds, let me just double check this, hold on. Yeah, three and a half minutes. In less than three and a half minutes, they performed this task that would take the most powerful classic computer on the planet 10,000 years to complete. Dear God. Now, there's a bit of controversy about whether that, that is a factual statement. And some people are saying, no, 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 they've got the, I don't know. There's some debate about whether that's 100% accurate. But the point is, the thing is ludicrously quick. Mm. Now, whether they can get it into some sort of practical use is a complete another point. But this would just absolutely smash laws... Moore's law to complete smithereens, right? Like imagine getting a processor that was suddenly just orders and orders of magnitude faster. Mm-hmm. Pretty fascinating. Yeah, pretty cool. They're comparing it to the Wright Brothers 12-second flight at Kitty Hawk as, in terms of breakthroughs. It's one of these things that I can understand the value. I can see the value. I can see the benefit that it's going to give us. What it still feels like it's way away. It's not practically applicable Anytime soon. Sacha showed it on stage, what, last year or two years ago at Ignite? Yeah, the Moscow Mule Cup thing. Yeah. yeah. Was that last year? The shiny bronze thing, whatever it was. I think it was yeah. last year. Maybe it was the year before, actually. Well, I don't know. Whatever it was. They make makes a big splash, and it's really cool. And you're like, that's really interesting. But it's like, did you didn't have anything else to demo? Because I can't play with this for... I'm not going to be able to benefit from this for that long. Yeah. Even and Sundar, took, Sundar, who's the CEO right, of Google, said this is a hello world milestone, quantum computing. It's like a, it's a starting point or a moment of possibility, he called it. Mm. So yeah, the article is quite funny because it's one of the parts of the post that says one bit, two bit, red bit, qubit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
ah. quantum computing. Yeah. Anyway, it's a, it's a, if you don't know anything about quantum computing, much like I really, I know of the basics, but that's about it. But it does actually do a fairly good job of explaining kind of how they go about doing what they do and what they're attempt, what scientists are attempting to do mm -hmm. and, uh, or are doing by the sounds of it. And so it's a, it's a nice, simple read if you, if you want to understand a little bit more about what's going on. Cool. I have one from uh, the Office 365 realm, and this would have been nice to have last week when we did our kind of leading into Ignite, not last year, last week when we did our leading into Ignite session. But there's an, a blog post by Mark Cashman that was published on Wednesday, October the 23rd, that is called the uh, Ignite 2019. You should get the memo. It's supposed to be called Microsoft Ignite. The Ignite 2019 Guide to SharePoint OneDrive Yammer Stream and Related Technology Sessions. I can't believe he didn't mention Teams. But it is, there's a... Chat, man. That's a different cool. team. Yeah, that was, well, there, that's, that's, that's team. now you're getting on my, uh, my sore subject from the last three days. All of the SharePoint OneDrive Yammer Stream Sessions are bucketed in these different categories below, including Jeff Teeper's Two Big Sessions content and team collaboration, but not Teams collaboration, intelligent internet, harness collective knowledge and Microsoft search, content services, business applications, developer platform, IT pros, security, administration, and other related theater sessions. I'm not going to go through this blog post because there are a ton of sessions in here. And it doesn't look exhaustive to me either because I feel like the developers got the shaft. But it's a big list of if you're looking for what should I go look for? What should I look for at Ignite? I think it's a good list, for, especially for the people who are trying to get the all-up view and the IT pro business user kind of view. But if you're like me and a dev, actually, there okay, there are a couple little dev sessions. Then because they're listed, a couple of dev sessions are listed as your low to no code solutioning through custom apps and APIs. And yet there's Vesa's Vesa Uvenin session and Luca Bandinelli session. I'm like <laughs> I know what Luca's Luca's going to be showing and. That ain't no low code stuff. That is code. So like, all right, nice. But hey, Mark got to write it. So fair enough. Yeah, hopefully you'll get to some sessions this year. It's my goal this year. I've decked out my agenda. I will try and see at least two a day. Bold line in the sand, AC. I'm going to give it a shot. I'd like to go to one a day. I think that would be a good milestone for me. Okay. In other Microsoft and Office 365 news, Edmonton-based startup Mover has been acquired by Microsoft. Mover's moved. Mover's moving. Mover are a startup that does migration stuff. And so the theory of this goes, you would use Mover to move from other services and tools like Google Docs or Dropbox or what have you. They've got a bunch of different connectors, I guess you call them. I'm not even sure what you call them. They connect to a bunch of other services that help you move to Office 365 or Microsoft 365. And so Microsoft are buying them. Now, what's interesting here is this is obviously to try and make it easier for customers to move into SharePoint and OneDrive mm -hmm. um, from maybe from other services. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with Mover, whether it sort of just becomes a, an out-of-the-box migration tool. Or I suspect, you know how Microsoft published that migration tool for files? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I suspect that, <laughs> that people are like, yeah, it's great, but it's too simple. And that they've needed to buy something like this to really get a bit more sophisticated about that. Yeah. So, I don't know. I've never used Mover, so I've, I honestly don't know what they do that's so special that Microsoft felt like they needed it. But I suspect it's to get people off other cloud services, like to be able to say, hey, push a button and we'll migrate you from Google Docs or something. Mm. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's Mover. Shall we 
take a quick break, hear from one of our great sponsors, who will be at Ignite, by the way. Absolutely. And we'll come back with some more news. That sounds good to me. Are you being asked repeatedly to integrate different business systems in ever narrower timeframes and with increasing process complexity? What if you could standardize the way you build these business processes so your team are focusing on higher value tasks versus the nuts and bolts of running the processes and integrations? Nintex can make it happen. With a Nintex platform, workflows from person to person, system to system, to the cloud and back. Got a custom system you want to connect with? No-code extensions let you plug into systems simply and easily using REST and Swagger. With Nintex, work just flows, so your teams can work smarter, work faster, and be more connected than ever. Try it out free for 30 days at www.nintex.com forward slash try NWC. Hey, so it's earnings season. Money, money, money. Did you hear about Microsoft's uh, earnings yesterday? Actually, you probably heard about Tesla's earnings yesterday. Let's start with that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Good earnings from Tesla, but Microsoft. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. Well, yeah, I was just saying, as I was leaving work yesterday, I checked out Tesla's stock ticker. (laughs) After hours, we're up 20%. Yeah, I'm very, my portfolio is happy. (laughs) Not bad. Actually, wait. Uh, I think legally I have to say I don't recommend stocks or I don't pick stocks or something like whatever, something like that. This is not a stock pick. No, no, no. (laughs) That's not what I meant. They just had a pretty amazing result, I think. Like profitability and stuff was kind of a big big theme of the whole thing. I didn't really get into the details. Yeah, there there was a profitability. They had an epic... From permitting to final construction of their new Shanghai gigaplant, or wait, uh, is it a battery plant or is it a car yeah. plant? Whichever one, 168 days. Yeah, I think it was car. I think they were assembling vehicles, right? I think it's an assembly, yeah. But yeah, 168 days from permitting to to up and running. It's amazing what you can do when you control labor laws. Anyway, sorry, what were you saying about Microsoft? I was trying to think of something more politically correct to say than that, but it was along similar lines. That's okay. The NBA won't talk to me now, so we're good. <laughs> it's like, there's something to be said for a good dictatorship every now and again. Oh, yeah, man. They get shit done. Stuff done. Oops, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Let's go back to the <laughs> sliding down. <laughs> yeah, anyway, Microsoft's earnings were pretty damn stellar. Like, there's been comments by various analysts that say, saying things like, they beat virtually every metric driven by strength in cloud, server and tools, and Windows Pro. I don't know what Windows Pro is, but... Maybe Windows commercial? I'm not sure. Anyway, the results have been pretty good. Not as good as Tesla's, obviously. They're, only, they're up 2% after in today's trading. But in general, the news has been very well received. A 14% increase in revenue to $33.1 billion in the quarter, which is pretty amazing. Operating income of $12.7 billion, which increased 27%. I mean, how do you do double digits, let alone not like 10.001%. When you're dealing with tens of billions of dollars, it's just staggering. Quarter over quarter, over quarter, over quarter. I mean, they're constantly doing this. Yeah. Yeah. It's really unbelievable. Like these are incredible results. And a lot of it is driven by cloud, right? Which is Azure and Office 365. Office commercial revenue up 13% or 15% in constant currency, which means... You know, if based on currency fluctuations around the world, they have this thing called constant currency, which sort of gives you a way to measure things like for like, you know, as if mm. taking away currency fluctuations mm. which paints sort of a more accurate growth measure, I suppose. 15% growth in Office, basically Office commercial, right, which includes Office 365, which was up 25% in 
or 28% in constant currency. It seems like there's no slow to the hockey stick with 365 commercial, which is surprising because from what I hear, there's certain markets around the world where their enterprise, Microsoft's enterprise accounts are becoming to the point of saturation mm-hmm. where they can't, they've got license penetration into all of their accounts basically to the point where there's no accounts that don't have it. There's no more to sell. Well, there is more to sell, right? But there's no well, more, they can't convert them to 365. Now they've got to upsell them onto higher SKUs. Yeah. Yeah, you can't, you know, that, that guy's eaten enough. You can't sell him another dinner. Exactly. <laughs> One more wafer thin slice. I call it E5. <laughs> Apologies to our French listeners. My I'm full. I'm stopped. I can't eat another, but it's only a wafer thin. Uh, come on, it's just wafer thin. If you don't know what we're talking about, go look up the Mr. Creso clip on YouTube from Monty Python. It's yeah, and make sure you don't don't watch it right after you eat. Or while you're eating. Or if you're feeling sick. Yeah, that's not a good idea. Um, Revenue up 26%. Server products and cloud services revenue up 30%. Driven by Azure of 60% growth. What the hell? They're smashing it. It's crazy. It's crazy, man. Crazy. Yeah, Windows revenue is still increasing, which is kind of staggering. That's crazy. (laughs) I'm surprised. Yeah, there's smaller numbers there, obviously. Windows commercial products, that's pretty good. Windows commercial products and cloud services up 26%. That's obviously pretty decent. Windows OEM revenue, which is like, you know, shipping PCs, like HP shipping PCs or Dell or what have you, up 9%. So slightly more, but slightly less, but kind of, I don't know, man, like, Everybody poo-poo's the Windows business still, but it's gigantic. It's $11 mm-hmm. billion, dollars and it's still going up in single digits in most cases. But that's just, I don't know. If that was a separate business and I was the CEO, I'd be pretty bloody chuffed. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, it's, a, it's funny because you see, we, everyone looks at these numbers and looks at the, like when you look at like, the adoption, like another big popper one, the adoption numbers between Slack and, and Teams. I'm like, oh, well, you know, Teams has as much adoption. Like, well, Slack has, you know, this many and they're celebrating what, 3 million or 30 million or something like that on Slack. And it's like, oh, and yeah, they're getting beat by Teams. Like, if I had that business, I'd be pretty freaking happy that if I had 3 million customers. I mean, and that's are using it every day. I don't know. I think where that rivalry comes from is that Slack are just kind of like this can't do anything wrong golden child of the market, you know? Like they've just been mm. looked up to as, as like, you know, they fart rainbows and unicorns, you know? Like, I don't know. And I think some people are like, you know, want to knock them back a bit because of that. I mean, they've got a great product and an amazing yeah. business. But I also feel like, some people, I don't know. It's kind of, you want to say people want to cheer for the underdog, but they are the underdog. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so, okay, here's, here's a good analogy then. Well, I think it's a good analogy. The Slack teams debate. What about the Zoom teams debate? Are they not kind of the same kind of debates that you're going to have there? You can do, you can use teams for the same stuff that you can use Zoom for, but nobody slams on Zoom or anything. They have one secure, one little security hookup, uh, hick, hiccup a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago. But I mean, everybody I know that uses Zoom absolutely loves it, including me, including us right now. Right? Yeah. I mean, everybody seems to really like Zoom. You're right. Yeah, I, I have no problem paying for it. Yes. So anyway, that's Microsoft's earnings just came out yesterday. And by all measures, uh, they're doing a fantastic job. Very Driven cool. by the cloud. Driven, driven by the cloud. I have a little bit of Azure news here. They have, uh, Microsoft has been, I mentioned this a couple of shows ago or a couple of months ago, that Microsoft was working on having a unified SDK instead of having each of, feeling like every single 
type of resource that you can create inside of Azure is, is a separate company. They've been a primary for different things and all that. Yeah, they'd have a Java or a .NET or a JavaScript or a Python library. But the way that like the storage team wrote their APIs was different than how these other guys wrote their APIs. Now this worked and that worked. And it's like, it just got, is messy. It just felt like different companies. And right now they're finally going through and, and pulling everything together. They have an update on October 2019, Unified Azure SDK Preview, talking a little bit about what they've been doing, an API lockdown, uh, batch API support and storage, unified credentials, that's a good thing, and also how you can get involved, how you can get involved, how you can link up with them at Ignite, and uh, how you can provide feedback for the work that they're doing. Nice. Everybody loves stuff that's free, right? And Cognitive Services uh, had a post yesterday, actually. Oh, that's pretty new. That they are giving away more stuff for free. So if you go, you know how you can create a Azure free account where you mm-hmm. get like a set of things free for like the first year and then there's a set of things that will continue free after that point? They're giving Cognitive Services stuff away in that. Things like face mm-hmm. detection, form extraction, language detection, computer vision model things, bits and bob. I think the theory is here, obviously, start building your app, get to use some services. This will help you start, get on the cognitive services crack for no money down. They don't make a mention if they're going to change this in the future, obviously, that would put a bit of dampener on things. But, you know, I think it's nice that they let people play around for free to begin with. You've got to be able to try stuff out, right? And it always sucks that you have to put your credit card and start getting charged if you've got a lowly, small, independent developer or something. And mm-hmm. just You know, I, it's funny, I had a conversation about that with someone and they were complaining about how it's hard to get into any of the cloud stuff because everything costs something. I was like, well, I understand your point there, but if I was a brand new developer coming out of college or I was in college and I wanted to get in and start doing development when I was a kid and I was doing this, yes, I had to buy a laptop, but I think it's almost like a commodity now. So I would assume, let's assume that you at least have a laptop and an internet connection. After that, a lot of the tools are free. If I want to be like, a, if I want to work on like Node.js or I want to work on Go or if I want to work on .NET Core, I can get VS Code, doesn't cost anything. I can get all the SDKs that I need, doesn't cost anything. And I can go test on my stuff locally, doesn't cost anything. And then I can throw a credit card down just to create an Azure account. And I could use the free web apps that I have or free stuff with Azure Functions and I can go create some stuff and get it deployed and see it running and doesn't cost anything. And if I start making money from it, then I need to scale it out and have more reliability to it, then I don't mind paying a little bit for it. I think overall in the big picture, I feel like we're spending a hell of a lot less. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of, I have that same sympathy for the people that are up on the mountain trying to get their pot legalized and you know not kill their living. So I'm like, I think things are a hell are pretty damn good right now. Incredible, really. Yeah. Now, if you want Visual Studio, then you got to have Windows. And I mean, a lot of that stuff costs money, but you don't, I mean, still. It, no, it's even like Community Edition. That's oh, that's true. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I haven't used Visual Studio in so many years. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, it's incredible what you can get going with these days. I think you're being pretty reasonable there. But it's never been better to be able to get going for, for no cost. Anything else interesting you want to bring up on this? Or I've got one. Go for it. I'm done. Okay. Microsoft's Azure AI Hackathon winning projects have been announced. This is back Mm. October 15th. I just thought, I haven't been following along with this, but periodically Microsoft run hackathons through DevPost, which is kind of a, a website that facilitates things like hackathons and competitions and stuff like that. And 
Azure ran one for using Azure AI, and they've got these three projects that won. And I just thought I'd list them off real quick because I think they're kind of kind of interesting. First place is an app called Trash A, which is a smarter recycle bin. <laughs> I thought that was quite well named, Trash. Like a real recycle bin, or like one of the three things in the back of a, a meeting room at Microsoft. <laughs> Like a real recycle, not a real recycle bin, but you know, like a trash bin on your computer trash bin. A computer one. Okay. A digital one, not a physical one. Got yes, it. Yes. Got a it. rubbish bin. Got it. A recycle bin on your desktop kind of thing. So yes, these developers built Trash A, which is a smart bin that aims to help people make more informed recycling decisions. What I enjoyed most was watching a full demo, powerful when you see not just the intelligence in the end scenario of how it can be applied in the real world environment. Curious. Hmm. Hold on a second. Maybe it is a real one. I thought it was a fake one. I thought it was a recycling bin. Hold on a <laughs> when I started reading, I was a little confused. That's why I was getting clarification. So you're confused the same way I am. Yeah. Connecting to the hardware intelligence and presentation layers. You can see this well architectured is reusable. Oh, multiple I, I totally read it wrong the first time. It's <laughs> really clear. That's fascinating. I assumed they were to- Oh man, the first time I read it, I thought they were talking about a recycling bin on the desktop. No, they're talking about real recycling bins by the sounds of it. Using Azure Custom Vision to help you. Yeah, you're right. There you go. Here's my recycling bin that is literally on my desktop. (laughs) (laughs) You did trash A. Second place was AfroFarm, which is about recognizing crop diseases and using Azure Machine Learning Services to help track disease breakouts, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Again, computer vision, I suppose. Third place, water level anomaly detector. So this thing would apparently use some sort of ultrasonic sensor that detects like the water levels in the ground, perhaps, and would help predict flooding and natural disasters, which I thought was pretty sweet. I guess if you're in a flood-prone area, you would have one of these things, and it would sort of detect saturation in the in the soil, I guess, and the water level below ground rising and would give you an indication of, by the way, your land is about to become a lake or something. That's interesting. There's a little device that you can get. You can hook up to like a Raspberry Pi or like a, what's the other one called that's so popular? Just forgot the name of it. Arduino, that's it. When I was playing around with hardware, I was going to create a sprinkler system and have one of these in the ground and it would only turn the sprinklers on when the ground was not to detect rain because... It may rain, but it still may be very hot and sunny out after it rains, and so it evaporates right away. And so it, that, the rain wasn't a, yeah. So you want to check the moisture content as well and say like, no, it hasn't rained in two weeks, but it's been overcast, and we had a hurricane where the ground is still saturated. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. Anyway, so congratulations to those winners. Now it's time for some picks, isn't it? I think it is. Let's break for a quick sponsor pitch spot ad. Get back to our picks. Pew, pew. CJ's Hyperfish automates the collection of user profile information from users in organizational directories such as Office 365, SharePoint, Active Directory, and HR systems. The secure service supports on-premises, hybrid, and online environments. Bring your directory to life at hyperfish.com. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Okay, what do you got for us this week? You, well, should we start with yours or should we start with our listener pick? Let's start with a listener pick. Okay. You do this one. Yeah, sure. Yeah, this one's close. I picked this one. Oh. It, is, it is close to my heart as well. Our hearts, I should say, I think. Yes, uh, it is. A good friend of the show, Wichter Whelan, posted about this. It's Shelly.cloud. That's the URL. What's cool about this 
is it is a sort of an IoT home automation solution using quite open source, I think quite open source technology. So they will ship you the switches that you can put behind your actual switches, right? So things like it's a little unit that you can control, which will help you turn on and off loads, right? Like lights and bits and pieces. But it's all done with open source software. And in fact, open source chips as well. It's all built on, oh gosh, I forget the name of the thing, the name of the chip. But we've talked about it on the show before. It's a ESP something or other. Hold on, I'll think okay. a second. But rather than having to get the chips and package them yourself and do all that sort of stuff, you can order these little units from Shelly.cloud, all ready to roll. And you program them using, they put an app for your, for your phone and things. You could program them. And they sort of do like smart switch, what smart switches would do. You could stick them in the walls or under the floor or in other locations. What's nice about these ones is they deal with both 110 volts for the US, 240 or 220 to 240 for the rest of the world, which is nice. They deal with AC, not you. That's good. And DC, direct current. My dad, Dan. 60 volts. Okay. Gotcha. So yeah, we'll deal with the whole Connell family by the sounds of it, which is pretty nice. So yeah, they're relatively cheap. So if you want to get into home automation and you've got loads that you want to automate, like lighting loads or what have you, you can get into these things for like 10 euro. I, I don't know what that is in dollars these days. I forget. Pretty close to the same as 10 bucks from what I understand. Maybe 11, something like that. If, I don't know if I've got that right. But um, yeah, there's a bunch of different types. There's dimmers. There's a dimmer option, there's regular load options, there's a RGBW option, which is for you know, the RGB lighting, I, I imagine. Yeah, there's quite a few different choices, but smart relays is probably a better way to put it than smart switches. They're not like physical light switches. They're these little pucks load into a, or you wire into, your, into a lighting circuit, for example, or a low voltage circuit. So it could be for like a, um, for say a fireplace, you know how a fireplace is often oh, yeah. it's low voltage? Yeah. You could wire it up for that for automating your fireplace. That's cool. Very cool. I thought it was pretty sweet. And there's a developer option too. Oh, that's cool. I can have fun. You can hook into it and load different. ESP8266, that's the chip that I was thinking of. Oh, okay. It's an open source programmable chip that these things are based on. The Internet of Things. I stumbled across a link this week that was quite eye-opening. And then... Not as big of a deal when you think when you start to realize that most of the places have already fixed it. Someone has come up with a new way to attack your website and to shut your company down. It's called CPDOS, Cash Poisoned Denial of Service. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. So in a nutshell, let's say I'm in, let's say we have like the Microsoft Cloud Show. All right. Microsoft Cloud Show is running on is being hosted by a server, really in Azure Storage. It runs through a CDN, so it runs through Azure CDN, and it also runs through well, let's just keep it simple. Run through Azure CDN, and then there's a bad person, right? So let's say that I'm the bad person, you're the good person. So what I do is I submit a request for a normal page. Let's just say the homepage of the Microsoft Cloud Show, but I put a malicious header in the HTTP request. The CDN gets the request, doesn't see anything wrong with the header, and just realizes that, hey, I don't have this in my cache, hands it down to the server. Server gets the request, the malicious header totally screws it up, gets an error, returns that back to the CDN, the CDN returns the error. Now, when you, as good actor, try to hit the homepage, you get the bad page because it's in cache. It's pretty straightforward in how the whole thing works. There are a couple of different ways you can do this. There's a header oversize, there's a meta character that you can do, and a method override. Someone has recently also, since this was published, someone also recently found another one 
That was the um, it deals with cores. So it blows up the cores headers. Now, so what's interesting about this, it goes through a couple of the different options here, like the cache, the HTTP oversize header. You've got things like Apache has a limit of 8,100 bytes. You've got other ones like CloudFront could go all the way up to 20,000 bytes. And what they did, that's one of them. They have another one, like I said, the meta character one, which screws up meta characters. So you can put like certain control characters, like a carriage return, like a backslash N or a line feed backslash R or a bell backslash A. You could put those in the header and it would totally, you know, screw up. Like I have no idea what this thing is and the server would just choke on it or a method override attack. So you could do like an XHP method override of a delete. And if it doesn't support that, then hey, stuff blows up. So they went through and they showed the how ways you can do this. It showed the impact of how you could look around the world and see all these different servers that were being knocked out, how you could see requests being made over to Europe were fine, but coming back to the US, things were blowing up on them. There's a whole thing that talks about the different vulnerabilities. This is where I thought things got a little interesting. Aside from the actual the pattern for this, like going, oh, okay, it's a you know, people are pretty creative and coming up with different ways to attack stuff. So what things there's a matrix of HTTP implementations. So like ASP.NET, ExpressJS, different ones like that, right? Rails. And then there's the cache provider. So it could be like Apache, could be Nginx, could be Akamai, Azure, Cloudflare, CloudFront, etc. The part that I found interesting is that Azure, if you're hosted on Azure, no problems. They have all this stuff mitigated. You won't have the problem with this. They have taken care of all of this stuff. When this paper was published, CloudFront, AWS's CDN, did not have all this stuff mitigated. In fact, they are the worst offender. They are absolutely destroyed. Now, since then, they've been patched, so they're good. Akamai had a couple. Cloudflare has three of them that were attacked to them. Nginx was fine. Apache uh, was fine. Here's the part where it gets kind of interesting, though. HTTP implementation. So what if you're hosting your own stuff? If you're on IIS, it's now been patched in the CVE, but nope, they had a couple things where they were also affected by it as well. Unless you were in Azure, then you weren't affected. ASP.NET. ASP.NET still has vulnerabilities that have not been patched. Unless you're in Azure, and then you're fine. It just seems so blatantly obvious, this attack. Like, in hindsight. It's simple. do, I guess. It's very simple. Yeah. That's the thing that I found interesting is that it was... I tried it by standing up a little... I was actually working on something and had to stand up an Express web server. So I fired up the web server real quick, opened up Postman, and I submitted a request. And I tried the ones that they had out there. And sure enough... Express just choked. I was like, that was really easy for me to show it. Yeah, yeah. So Fascinating. Good find. I'm going to wrap things up with something a little bit different. Not really one of my normal picks, but I thought it crossed over with one something that I am very interested in, which is old computing. Mm. A Christian rock band, that's the part that I'm not normally pitching in my picks, hid a C64 program on a vinyl album in 1984. So some a YouTube classic computing enthusiast makes an odd discovery. So he's found out that 35 years ago, Christian Rock Band encoded a C64 program on a vinyl album. You know those big, flat, black, usually black, round things? Yeah. That your kids probably have never seen? The album is called Electric Eye by the band Prodigal, and they hit a program in the run-out groove. You know the thing on the inside? I think it's on the inside or the... Yeah, it must be on the inside because you start on the outside, which also has C64 and other things etched on it. And sure enough, person managed to record the analog audio of that program, transfer it to a magnetic cassette. Because, you know, on C64s, you used to be able to load from cassette. Yeah. You used to basically play the... It was like sending a fax to your computer from the, from the tape player. Yeah. You'd push, play, and then the computer would 
read it, listen to it, and, and load it. And he's managed to transfer it to a magnetic cassette and load that program. It's just a basic program containing quotes from Albert Einstein and Jesus Christ. <laughs> How's that for a, for a combination? That's the part that, that raised my eye. I was like, wait, what? Yeah. Was that a direct quote from Jesus? I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> Most of the good video goes through transcription and translation process, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. How cool is that that somebody stuck it on an album like way back then? And only people, I wonder if these people are, well, I hope some of the members of this band are still alive who have been in touch with this person and gone, I wondered how long it would take people. We didn't think it would take 35 years. Yeah, well, yeah. And I mean, back at the time they recorded it, who knew there was going to be YouTube, right? And they could put it up and that's where the guy found it. It was on YouTube. Crazy. Right? He, yeah, YouTube. Yeah. That's really cool. I wonder if he plays it backward. Never mind. <laughs> Some sort of Satan worship program. Yeah. yeah, I was just reading. It doesn't say if these people, if the band members have been contacted. More. I thought that was pretty cool. 35 years later, playing something like that. Pretty awesome. Nice. That was cool. All right, AC, we better wrap this one up. I will see you next week. And then on to Ignite. On to Ignite. We got one more and one more episode and then we... And we ship it. Yeah. The real reason I have to run so quickly is my battery's now at 8%. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Me anyway. My figurative battery is down at 8% because it's 1 o'clock and I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, have a good one. Right. I will yeah, uh, catch you next week. Definitely. Take care, bud. Later. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in iTunes. Word-of-mouth recommendations are the most effective ways for us to grow the show. We'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as an MP3 or WAV file and provide a link so we can play your question on the show. Our theme music is brought to you by Keith Ritchie. For more information on Keith's music, head to music.kritchie.com. You can subscribe to us in iTunes and Google Play Store by searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or via RSS at microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll also find show notes of each episode. You can also find us on Facebook searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or on Twitter at MS Cloud Show. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to our website and entering your email to interact with us, participate in upcoming interviews, and other cool stuff. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.